Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Over the next few sessions, we're going to do the following things. I'm not entirely sure in what order. We're going to talk about the repetition of the Amidan, why we have a repetition. We're, we will, I promise we will talk about the choreography about bowing. Um, we're going to do look at some halachic sources about why, what it means to have kavanah for the first paragraph of the Amidah, um, more so than for other paragraphs, and what to do if you lose your kavanah. We, we, we sort of foreshadowed this last time. And we're going to talk more about, um, for all of us individually, how our first, our individual recitation of the first paragraph of the Amidah launches us into the Amidah. And I'll share my own kind of meditation that I do around that. It's just sort of an example of that. Um, I'm not sure in what order to do those things. Uh, Does anyone have any strong feelings about the order? Sorry for failing as leader. I should decide on the order, but I'm not sure what order to do. Um, I do want to point out, Terry. I would would like to... um learn about uh to start i i love this all of these i all of these um subjects that we're going to cover we're but do all I would of them yes to start with the um the the covenant of the first paragraph okay well i can't start with that today because i don't have the halachic material queued up to put in the chat okay. but maybe we'll maybe we'll get to that next time okay um what i did put in the chat for this week is one source I'm going to share with you two more <laughs> at a later week. One source on the repetition of the Amidah. So there's been there have been a number of of I'll call that I'll call them non not entirely traditional rabbis. I don't know I don't know how they label themselves uh, who've talked about this subject. There are people who are who who would say we should do away with the repetition of the Amidah. It is unnecessary. Um, and in fact, potentially wrong-headed. Okay, the original purpose of the repetition was people were not literate; they did not have books. Some people knew the Amidah; many people did not know the Amidah. It is a Jew's obligation to say the Amidah. Therefore, for those who didn't know how to do it, they would listen to the Chazan with intent, say Amen to every blessing. And that is how they would fulfill their obligation if they didn't actually know how to recite it. Um, these people who say we should do away with the Amidah, well, sorry, with the repetition, these contemporary rabbis say these conditions no longer hold. Everyone has a book. You're allowed to say the Amidah in any language. It doesn't have to be in Hebrew. You can say it in English to fulfill your obligation. And so these conditions of you don't know what to do or say, so you listen to the Chazan and say Amen, and that's how you fulfill your requirement. Um, these conditions no longer hold. Plus, two of these, not the two sources I gave you today, but two I'm going to give you maybe next week, also say that the purpose, the, the way to do the 
repetition of the Amidah correctly is people are supposed to listen to the Chazan, have intent that this is how they're fulfilling their obligation, and recite Amen to each blessing. And no one actually does that nowadays. People are scrolling through their phone to check their email. They are talking to each other. They are not paying attention. Um, uh, so so one of these, Rabbi Chaim Ovadia says, um, if, if we really wanted to fulfill these conditions as they're stipulated in the halakha, you would need people to stop what they're doing, pay attention to the repetition, have kavanah for what the Chazan is saying in Kavanah that this is how they're fulfilling their requirement. Understand what the Chazan is saying, okay, and say amen to every blessing. And there's no question that in the vast majority of Minyanim, for the vast majority of people, these conditions do not hold. And therefore, he says, not even it's optional and the conditions no longer hold, but it's wrong to say the repetition of the Amidah, right? We're, we're doing it by rote, like, like, um, um, communities are doing it out of habit, um, but it's a distortion. The way we do it is a distortion of the, what the purpose is of the Chazarat shots, the repetition, and we should not do it. Okay, so the, f- the source that I gave you today is Rabbi David Golinkin, Masorti Rabbi in Israel. He has a longer version of this response some you can find online if you search for it which has more of the sources in the footnotes. This is a short version. He basically says, historically, if you look at all Jewish halachic sources through the ages, there are seven different ways in which the Amidah can be recited. In Jewish history, there are seven different methods. I say my Amidah silently, and then the Chazan repeats it all aloud with Kedusha. That's only what which we consider the correct way to do it in Shachri. I know we're not doing it through, during Zoom life, but we'll do it when we get back together in person. Um, we consider that the, the traditional way of doing it. That's He actually says that's sort of the common traditional later centuries Ashkenazi way only, but that's only one of seven ways in which Jews have said the Amidah in Jewish history, in halachic sources, and we shouldn't think that that's the only way and the quote-unquote correct way. So this is his short response for what the seven ways are. He does list them and what the source is. He doesn't have deep footnotes with the actual source, which you could find if you looked online for the longer response. Um, and um, he suggests that we can, that based on this, that we can do away with the repetition of the Amidah if we chose to. For Shacharit, what that would mean would be everyone started the Amidah together aloud through the Kedusha, and we would then, after Baruch HaTashem HaEl HaKadosh, then we would all continue individually, silently with our Amidah. That would be the simplest way of not having a Chazarat Hashat. So the simplest, most efficient. The other two people who write about it, the other two responses, which maybe I'll give you next week, um, one by Jeremy Kalmanovsky of the uh, in conservative rabbi in Manhattan. Uh, the other is um, by Rabbi Chaim Ovadia, who is a very um, uh, lenient Sephardi rabbi. I advise everyone to read his Kashering for Pesach material 
and then uh, you may opt to go by him. He's very lenient. He says, you don't lick the kitchen counters, just clean them and they're fine. You don't have to pour boiling water. You don't have to cover them. If you don't actually lick your kitchen counters, then it doesn't matter. You, you, you clean it. If there was some micro spot of chametz, which he says there wouldn't be any way because nowadays counters are generally made of non-absorbent materials. Um, you, you, you said the rep, you said twice at Bidikat chametz the night before Pesach, although for us this year, it's two nights before Pesach. And in the morning, you said the nullification formula. I hereby nullify all chametz in your possession. And you actually sold it to the rabbi who you sold it. You appointed the rabbi as your agent to sell it to a Gentile. So that's three ways in which you already nullified your chametz. You said, if there's any chametz molecule adhering to my kitchen counter, it is nullified. If it's nullified before Shabbat, uh, before Pesach, it is, um, it is nullified in a volume of one and 60th and you don't own it anyway. So just clean your counters and relax. That's what he says. Okay. So Rabbi Chaim Ovadia is very lenient. He has, he has, uh, his material has transformed our Pesach cleaning in my house um, the last few years. My wife is very grateful for Rabbi Chaim Ovadia, right? Who says, you know, just, you know, make sure the glassware, rinse the glassware to make sure it's clean. If you feel like you need to run it through the dishwasher to make yourself feel better, Okay, but you don't really have to do that. Okay, um, lots of other such things. Terry's happy to. It could transform it in your house. So, so Rabbi Chaim Ovadia says, "Look, we have all of these leniencies in the halacha. Frequently, many of them Sephardim, Sephardic rabbis held by the leniencies. Why do? We, why did we all decide we need to um, go according to the most stringent?" Ashkenazi positions and decided that these most stringent positions are, quote unquote, the correct way to do Pesach. He also refers to a ingredients list, a kosher for Pesach list by Rabbi Abadi, A-B-A-D-I. You can find that online, which is extremely lenient. Plain yogurt before Pesach, fine. It doesn't need hashgacha. Tofu, it doesn't need supervision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here, here are the flavors of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and Breyer's ice cream that you can buy before Pesach, even though they don't have rabbinic supervision on them. So you can look at Rabbi Abadi's list. I am not a halachic decisor, so I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying if you want to choose one of these two people as your halachic decisor, it will change the way you clean and shop for Passover. But the tofu is only if you eat um, kidney oat. Correct. That's for okay. those who eat kidney oat because soybean is a kidney oat. Rabbi Abadi is Sephardi. So he would say, Ashkenazim, you can't eat tofu. Uh, Sephardim, people who eat kidney oat, I don't want to say just Ashkenazim and Sephardim because there are Ashkenazim who would say, I eat kidney oat because I don't really believe that the stricture against kidney oat should be valid anymore nowadays. There are a lot of people in Israel who say we have a unified minhag and the unified minhag of Israel, since Israel is actually technically a majority uh, Sephardi country, um, is we eat kidney oat, right? Um, 
I remember the first time when I went to Israel and saw that on Pesach, you can buy, you know, they just boil ears of corn in the giant vats on the street and you can just eat corn. No one's hung up on it. Um, uh, so anyway, Rabbi Chaim Ovadia has a response um, also where he says, not just we could choose to do away with repetition of the Amidah, he says we should because no one is actually listening to the Chazan, understanding the Hebrew and having the intent that by listening and answering Amen, I am filling my obligation to say the Amidah, which I did not fulfill because I did not say the Amidah and don't know how to say it. He says, there's really, practically speaking, no one in our congregations who actually has that intent and mindset. Therefore, it's actually perverse and pointless to have a repetition of the Amidah, as opposed to Rabbi Kalmanovsky, who says, we could choose to do away with it if we wanted to, on a, halachically, and I recommend that we do. By the way, that was recently, um, recently means in the last couple of years, um, voted on by the conservative movement, the Rabbinical Assembly Committee of Jewish Law and Standards, which decides halacha for the conservative movement. Yes, that's correct, Jeff Gottesman, Chaim Ovadia. Um, so the Committee on Jewish Law and Standards of the Rabbinical Assembly actually adopted that Responsum, Rabbi Kalmanovsky's responsum, as a majority opinion, which means as far as I understand it, and you should all feel free to ask Rabbi Klickfeld this question. Um, I don't mean to talk behind his back and make trouble for him. That's not why I'm raising it. Um, but I want, it's interesting to know what, what he would say is how come we at Temple Beth Am still say a repetition of the Amidah theoretically, although we haven't met in over a year to hear it, so I don't really know what, we, what we're going to do, when actually we now have the official conservative movement position, as I understand it, that we should not say repetition of the Amidah, right? That's the majority opinion, right? I believe his opinion isn't, it's an option, but it's a recommendation. I think it's a recommendation, although, you know, congregations who still want to do so um, uh, will do so. So I, I, I don't know. Interesting question. If we abolish the repetition of the Amidah Temple Betham, I think there would be an outcry on the parts of some people who, by the way, who in this group, I won't call out any names. So you're not being, um, your name is not being recorded on the website for all of posterity. But who in this group um, who comes to Daily Minion would be in favor of us abolishing the repetition of the Amidah and Shachri? Raise your hand now. Just interested to know. Who would like to keep the repetition? Raise your hand now. Right? So that's interesting. And in shul on a Shabbos morning, if you um, ask that question, you might get a different vote. Okay? And on high holidays, you might get a different vote. You know, it depends on who the crowd is. Um, Some shuls that I go to, non-Orthodox shuls, already it's fairly common to have a repetition for Shachrit on Shabbat, but a Hecha Kedusha without a full repetition for Musaf, right? I see that a lot in sort of liberal-leaning congregations. Um, To take it back to the first paragraph of the Amidah, one thing that we will sacrifice if we do not have a repetition of the Amidah is, I think, the halachic requirement 
that we say the first paragraph with kavana for every single word, because how can his kavana be exactly the same as her kavana, right? Which is why in more traditional synagogues, how is the first line of the Shema said? This is a toss-up question. Go to an Orthodox shul. How do they recite the first line of the Shema? What do you hear? Meyer? Say it out loud. Say it again? Yeah. How is it said out loud? Does, um, everyone, say, does everyone say it together out loud? Not always, no. Never. <laughs> right. So if you go to Orthodox synagogues, the first line of the Shema is recited aloud, as we learned from the Halakha you're supposed to, right? To rare your kavanah, to arouse your fervor, right? But because it needs to be said, every individual with kavanah, everyone says it at their own pace, right. with their own kind of melody. So when you are in a traditional shul and they're saying the Shema, it's kind of like a fish, a babble of a fish market, okay? It's the sort of thing that um, drove, you know, the original reformers in Germany, the, former, the founders of the reform movement in the 19th century. It drove them crazy. They saw it as indecorous, right? That's not decorous, a babble of a fish market with people going, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, right? Everyone's doing it at their own pace because they're all each doing it with their own individual kavanah, right? Kavanah is an individual thing. It's my intent in saying the words. It's, there's, as far as I know, there's no concept in halakha of communal kavanah or group okay. kavanah. Hold on a second, Meyer. So mm-hmm. to impose a pace of saying the Shema first line altogether is, I'm, I'm going to put it in air quotes, wrong, okay, um, because it kind of erases the option for every individual to have their own kavanah. So if I have to, so why is it any better if I have to have kavanah for us to ho- have to recite the whole first blessing of the Amidah together? What if I am, what if my kavanah is slower than yours? What if I am thinking different thoughts than you are, right? So if we're reciting it all together, how could, there, how could I possibly have kavanah? How could we all possibly have kavanah? Meyer? I was going to say, I mean, the, the idea of a communal kavanah comes through the Baltila. Right. In the sense that when you're leading and you're doing the repetition of Shemona for example. Right. If you're, if you are the Baltila, you're supposed to at that point not just have kavanah for yourself, but have kavanah for the kahal. Yes, but when you say the Shema, the first line of the Shema, you're not, and you're not the Chazin, you're not supposed to have Kavanah for the Kahal. You're supposed to say, have Kavanah for the words that you are reciting. Same thing, the first Bracha of the Amidah, you're supposed to have Kavanah for the words that you are reciting. And so my, um, my personal objection to let's get rid of the repetition of the Amidah is if we say the whole first paragraph together, then I have no Kavanah. And I understand, by the way, for someone else, who doesn't know the words, they might say, no, when I recite it with the whole kahal and we sing it together, then I do have kavanah. So I'm not saying what's right and what's wrong. I'm just saying there, there may be individual different wishes and preferences about this. Larry. So I have a slightly different question, sure. which is, I agree with Meyer. I, I always believe that the, the shliach zibur, um, whether he's actually a baltfilah or not, or not is taking upon himself 
to um, to fulfill the obligation of the of the keilah. So he should have kavana. I, I got to stop. Wait, I got to stop you for a second, and then you can go on. You're right, but that's only half of the equation, right? That is the kavana that the shliach tzibur is supposed to have. And then, but the, but the kahal is supposed to have the kavana of I am listening to the shliach tzibur. And by the way, the same way, um, we don't recite motzi together, right? We don't recite kiddush together. Halachically, right? One person recite, you say Hamotzi, I listen to Hamotzi and I say Amen, and that counts just as much as if I said Hamotzi. If I have an obligation to say a bracha before I eat, I can fulfill that equally because I recite the bracha, or I listen to you say Hamotzi and I say Amen, and I'm, I'm having the intention of, of Larry saying Hamotzi to fulfill my obligation for a blessing before I eat. I say amen to that bracha. It's as equally halachically valid and powerful as if I recited hamotzi to myself. That's why we don't all say hamotzi at the table. Okay? Agreed. One person recites hamotzi, everyone else listens. You're not supposed to be talking. You say amen. So I just want to point out, yes, the person is supposed to have a kavanam being yotze. I'm fulfilling everyone's obligation. But the everyone is supposed to also have the kavanah. I'm listening to that person. And they're reciting it on my behalf, and my saying "Amen" fulfills my obligation. So, so go ahead, Larry. Now go on. Agreed. And only as a brief digression, I've also been at Shabbat tables where people have declined to have to be. You'll see from the head of the household, where each individual then in turn does his own kiddush. But that's kiddush, the right? Kiddush is halachically a different issue because there are issues about Kiddush for the household. You're correct. But for Motsi, no one would say that. Or okay. if we were eating a fruit course, I, I don't know, if we had a non, we, we, had a, we had a light repast that was not a Hamotzi repast. We were saying brachot about different things and they brought the fruit and one person said, Borei Priha Etz, and the other people listened and said, Amen. There's no one who would say halachically, you need to repeat Borei Priya Eitz and say it yourself. So my main... Kiddush is a different issue because it has to do with the household. And there's some people who say that each household should say Kiddush separately. Go ahead, Larry. But now to my main question, which is what we do, at least in the daily services, is we all say, including the Shaliyah Sibur, the entire Amidah, and then... The Shliach Sibur repeats. And my question is, isn't that a bracha levatala, a, a unnecessary bracha? Because he's already said it once. How can he say it again? Unless maybe he's saying, this isn't for me, this is for them. That's the so, answer. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So the, the, just so everyone understands the term Larry's using, bracha levatala, which literally means a wasted bracha, what that really means is the name of God that we say when we say brachot, right? Um, right? The name which, which we pronounce as Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, right? You're only supposed to say that when you're saying the bracha or, you know, when you're studying Torah or maybe when you're practicing with children, okay? But, but I'm not supposed to say to you, if I'm not, if, if I'm not eating bread now, I'm not supposed to say, oh, you know, when you say 
Baruch Ata Aleph Dalad Nun Yud Elokeinu Melech Olam Hamotzi Lechemin Arts. I'm not supposed to say that because I'm not eating bread. I'm actually using God's name. I'll put it in quotes the way we say it in English in vain, unnecessarily, right? That's a name I'm only supposed to say when I'm actually doing the ritual, not when I'm just talking about things. That's why we substitute and say Hashem, right? Uh, instead of the name Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. So a brachal of atala doesn't really mean a wasted blessing. It really means a blessing which I uttered with God's name in it unnecessarily because I wasn't actually doing the thing. So what Larry's asking about is if the chazan, Shliatzibur, actually said the Amidah twice, once individually and privately, and once aloud communally, doesn't this mean that the chazan has unnecessarily made 19 unnecessary rachot? Chazan has committed 19 sins, right? So, but you answered your own question, Larry, because the chazan besides the fact that they're fulfilling the kahal's need, the chazan also has the obligation for their own amidah, right? Including the first bracha with kavanah, right? Um, anyone who's been a davener, know, a public davener knows, let any service, you know, that it's hard to have kavanah and lead aloud at the same time. Because when you lead aloud, you're always, you know, you're worried about, how does my voice sound? Am I going too fast? And am I going too slow? And is it page A or page B? And uh, do, am I going to skip the next thing? And is someone from the congregation going to shout out, you know, because I forgot something, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we all have these things, right? The self-consciousness, the, the let's not say that, I mean, let, let's say it more charitably, the worry about, am I doing this right as the leader of the congregation? Right. And I, I think, Larry, I think the answer would be that that sense of what you're doing isn't really compatible with, again, let's get back to what's the purpose of the Amidah. This is my personal audience before God. Right. So if we said the Chazan just remains silent while everyone else is saying their Amidah, and then the Chazan does the repetition of the Amidah, we would be depriving the Chazan of their personal audience before God. Right, which is, by the way, depriving them of their personal audience before God. That's not exactly what I'd call a halachic criterion. That's a, a halachic principle. That's kind of a spiritual principle, right? I'm sure it says that somewhere halachically that the chazan has the obligation to say their own individual amidah. But what stands behind that is this is your personal audience before God to say what your needs are, right? By the way, in the, just to look ahead, in the middle brachot of the weekday Amidah, you are allowed to and encouraged to add your own individual prayers that fit in the bracha. So the example for this is in Rifa Enu, which is bracha number whatever it is, six or seven, right? We even have it in our conservative sidur, right? A little Misha Beirach. You're, you are supposed, you are, I don't want to say supposed to, that's wrong. You are encouraged. It is permissible and you are encouraged to add your own Misha Beirach for Cholim in the middle of that bracha, okay? And then when I'm thinking about Mivarech Hashanim, God who creates a good, supports the economy, um, right? Because that's what Mivarech Hashanim is about. It's about 
fertility and the earth, which is really about people making a living. That's when I add, and I hope my kid who's job hunting finds a good job. Okay. Um, and when I say, you gather all the, uh, the, all the people of Israel, that's when I think, oh, um, I wonder when the pandemic will end so I'll be able to visit Israel again because, you know, I haven't been in a few years and I want to go back and visit, right? So each one of these requests, brachot, is an opportunity for you to, and but there are ones in which you might think about politics, right? God who makes justice and God who gets rid of the evil people and God who supports the good people, right? So there are brachot for all sorts of things, individual and communal, and we are in, permitted and encouraged to add our personal concerns in each one of those brachot. And oh, by the way, if you forgot to, you can add anything in shomeat filah, the last of the request brachot, right? So there are mornings, by the way, when I'm on autopilot. And by the way, just so you know, I say mishabera for cholim and my rifa'enu every single day, right? Uh, the people on my list and... um and there are mornings when I go on autopilot and I forgot to. And sometimes I catch myself before Shmakoleinu uh, and I will insert it in Shmakoleinu, right? So before the last line, Ki Atasho Meat Filat Amcha Yisrael Barachamim, that's the line before the blessing. That's when you can add anything that's a request, either because you forgot it in the prior 12 middle brachot or because. I don't know, there's something that fell into some category that didn't fit into one of the other 12. I'm not sure what that would be, but we could all imagine something, you know, the 12 are meant to be, the 13 middle brachot are meant to be comprehensive for things that people might ask for, but we could all imagine something that doesn't fit. So you're supposed to add that in your Shema Koleinu, okay? Um, so all of this is about, we've been talking about kind of the kavana of the Amidah, Meyer. I just want to talk about the what I think is valuable about the communal. Can I talk about that? About sure, us saying sure, brief, briefly, a, yeah, because I want to wrap up. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, to me, okay. I think it's it's emblematic of the big tent. Um, I know that at different parts of my life, I've had different capacity to be able to dive in or not, and yes. I know that having that sense of being able to be welcomed in for a, to be mikabos of shliach tibur to be able to lead, I, I felt helpful. I also think of my mother at different parts of her life when she was a child, being in shul, when she talks about that experience, and then when she was slowly losing her cognitive ability and being able to sort of be able to be there as well. I think we at different stages of our lives, uh, to some degree or another, I think um, may appreciate. I don't think it's for the people who are necessarily there every day. I think it's more for the people who might be coming in there, you know, infrequently or weren't as comfortable. To me, I think that's the reason why I would consider it important to have the repetition. And, and I think it's also, um, and, the, and the bracha that we have that is the most notable that is used in repetition that we don't have in our own is the birkata kohanim, which of course is the most public and kind of communal expression of, um, of, a, of a prayer that's meant to keep us all in mind. So you're touching on two different things. Um, the first one, I want to restate and say there, there's something, there's a value besides the fact that I had my personal audience before God, there's a value to the community is reciting the community's prayer. And I am a part of the community. By the way, for that reason, halachically, if you daven on your own, 
it is considered, and not in a minion, it is considered preferable to daven at the same time as the local minion is davening, right? Because the idea is expressed is this is the time when, I'm going to put it in air quotes, the community of Israel is offering a prayer to God and it is better, whatever that means, for you to add your prayers to theirs, even if you are not physically with them, right? Which means, now again, people sometimes daven on their own at different times because they have different needs about like when they go to work or whatever, right? But if if it was like, okay, I'm going to daven on my own today. I could daven at 6.30 or 7.30 or 8.30, but I am part of the Betham community, and all those times are equally doable for me. I don't have to change my work schedule or anything like that or stop the car on the side of the road, right? It is preferable for me to daven between 7.30 and 8.15 because that's when the Temple Betham minion is davening, okay? So the ethos is even if I'm not physically present, it is commendable and possibly, depending on how one believes these things theologically, more effective, right, to utter my prayer so that it is joined to my community, and I do that by saying it at the same time, right? It's better, clearly halakhically better, to be in a minion, but if you daven on your own, then you're supposed to do it. It's preferable to do it at the same time as the minion. So what Meyer's raising is there is a value to the communalness of this core prayer. By the way, you could argue, one might argue in the Zoom times and pandemic times, that even if we halachically, if we were stricter halachically in this minion, okay, and if we didn't say mourner's Kaddish, we said, there's no minion, it's not a, Zoom is not a real minion, we're not going to say any Kaddishes, right? There are people who hold that halachically. One could argue that even if you believe that halachically, there might still be some value to having a Zoom communal experience of all davening together at the same time, even though it's not called a minion, because there is some value to the communalness of worship together at the same time. Right. I, I know, by the way, some people who are more, I am now going to put this, I think I'll put it in quotes, more orthodox. Um, I, I know in general, the orthodox do say this, right, in general, but there's some people who are more orthodox with, I don't know, lowercase o, but in quotes, I'm not sure what I mean exactly, who say, um, well, it's not really a minion, so what's the point of going on Zoom at the same point that everyone else? We're all just davening individually. Why don't we just all daven individually? There's no point in doing it together on Zoom, right? Um, and that, that, I think the argument against that is the communal aspect of prayer, even if it isn't halakhically a minion. So it's just sort of something to think about. Okay, when someone reads from the Torah on Monday and Thursday in our Beth Aminion, is that different than I could just sit at home and read those three short aliyot on my own? Does it really matter? By the way, so the answer I just want to say, technically, halachically, it doesn't matter. There's no halacha that says it's preferable for me to listen to it on Zoom than to read it on my own. 
but one could make an argument that for a community, it is different. Okay. We're running over. I think I want to stop today. And uh, next week, we'll, we're, we're going to stay on the first blessing of the Amidah for a while. Okay. Larry, this answered your question. It, it answers my question. It opens the door to all sorts of other things. I thought your answer was wonderful. And the, and Meyer's um, comment was wonderful. And your response was wonderful. Okay. I wasn't compliment seeking, but thank you. <laughs> Meyer, you, you, Meyer said a second thing and I wanted to come. What was the second thing? You're kind of conning. Oh, yes. So I actually think one area where these people who've written responses saying we don't need a Chazarada shots, one area where I think they're wrong, by the way, they're not wrong. They refer to a, there is a Sephardic <clears throat> practice, which some people say is unwieldy, but one of the seven methods, I think it might even be an eighth method, is the Kahal says the first three blessings together. Everyone prays, says it together, led by the Chazan. Everyone then prays the intermediate blessings individually. And then the Chazan picks up again at Ritzay. Okay, the last three blessings. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people say that's unwieldy because everyone's doing the middle part at the same pace, at different paces, how would that work? But one thing that is lost is the Birkat Kohanim, which I agree that I think is really important. What I wish we would do in these, in these Zoom quasi-halachic minyanim where we don't consider it a full minion, we don't say Kedusha, we don't say the Kaddishes, we only say the mourner's Kaddish, it's this kind of in-between kind of practice, is I do wish um, the Chazan said Birkat Kohanim, because I think that's something that, that um, I, I know personally I miss in these Zoom times of not being in a minion. You know, hearing the Chazan say, it's not something we can do for ourselves. It's a communal blessing. Hearing the Chazan say, and all of us saying, right? So I think that's something we've really lost in the last year of not davening together. Um, I've gone to a few, you know, here and there, backyard, minyanim, et cetera. Um, and when I hear the thing that I'm actually... Um, I guess that's actually the thing that I think I'm most moved by hearing. It's like, oh, I haven't heard that for months. And now I realize how much it's been lacking to hear the priestly blessing and for all of us to say, can you hear that song? You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.